We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. Now, on to my guest for today. Dan Emery, founder of the New York City Guitar School, who talks about the challenges of pivoting in COVID. Ah, that was a tough one, huh? In early 2020, the New York City Guitar School was going strong with five physical locations and thousands of students. Dan and his team were starting to explore possibilities in online learning. When COVID hit and shut down in-person classes, the school had to go fully virtual. It wasn't easy, but Dan was prepared. He put aside emergency savings and already was onboarding teachers into virtual platforms before the city went into lockdown. They did have to lay off office staff and close locations, but now they teach students all over the world, and he sees online learning as a core aspect of their offerings. With a master's in teaching from Columbia, Dan has developed a unique methodology to teaching students how to play music, encouraging his teachers to help students find their sweet spot, that place where they are challenged but can also achieve mastery and move on to harder lessons. Raised in Idaho on a farm, he also loves the way music connects people from different backgrounds and builds community. Now, let's get better 
together. Dan Emery, welcome to the podcast. Jari, thank you. It is awesome to be here. I'm super fired up to talk to you, and I appreciate you having me on. Well, you know, I I was a little bit hesitant, to be honest, and it's not because of you and what you're doing at NYC Guitar School and all the awesome stuff you do. I was a little hesitant because I really want to learn how to play the guitar, <laughs> and uh I know having you on is going to like put me in this awkward position because you're an expert on how to teach people how to play the guitar. I mean, you're coming out with this new book, 40 Songs to Practice on Guitar. You have this New York City guitar school. But more importantly, you have had such an interesting story about how you had to pivot during COVID. And we are going to examine all that because I think that's just a masterclass in how to handle these sort of things, to be honest. But um, before we dig into that and I try to figure out how I'm going to handle this, uh, well, Jari, when are you going to start learning guitar? Um, why don't you tell us how you got to do what you're doing today? Um, absolutely. I, 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 I will tell you that. Um, f- first, let me say, though, that you are not alone. Lots of people want to play guitar. Lots of people feel bad that they tried and they uh, we wouldn't have a business if it wasn't for people who wanted to play guitar and felt like they ran into roadblocks. So, um, uh, yeah. How did I get to, so, so a year ago, um, I was the founder and CEO of New York city guitar school with a couple thousand students in five physical locations in New York city. And it was awesome. Our students were awesome. Our teachers were awesome. We were having a great time. And, um, and today I'm the founder and CEO of New York city guitar school, a, totally, almost totally virtual school with over a thousand students in 31 states and nations around the world. So, um, so the story of how we got from there to here in a year, um, I think is a pretty exciting story. And, and, um, uh, and, um, I'm excited. I'm excited to to share it with you because I think there's some nuggets in there for your entrepreneur listeners that will apply to their businesses no matter what's going on. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I've I've talked with a lot of entrepreneurs that have had the whole physical completely get shut down and s- struggle mightily on going virtual. And and I think what's interesting about what what you guys do, because um, you know, again, like. Any skill you want to learn, like if you're a dancer or a gymnast or, you know, crossfitter or whatever, where the instruction's always going to be better when it's like one-on-one, you know, how I always like to say before we start recording, it's like, hey, if we're having, you know, imagine we're having a cup of coffee, but we're over Zoom. There's nothing that can replace that yet you had to. So how did you do that? I think is the best way I could put that. Um, yeah. So, so, so first of all, I, I want to just point out a couple of really important things. One is COVID. It was almost like, uh, um, you know, like, like the, 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 angel of death passing over, right? And some people had the right thing on their, over their door and some people didn't. So, so for example, my friends uh, who run jujitsu um, studios or swimming studios or restaurants, man, it was, that was like, that was like one, one whole thing. Um, my friends who run uh, like remote IT 
that was a whole other thing. So, 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 so even though there were things that we did right and things that we were prepared for, there was just a big element of randomness to this. Uh, so I, I just want to get that right out in, in front to say, man, depending on what you were doing and where you were sitting, um, and what your situation was, um, the effects of hitting of COVID were very different. Um, for us, uh, we had something that could pivot to online. Um, but that, but that said, it was a little tricky. We, we had our five physical locations and in a, and, and our goal, one of our goals for the year actually had been, we wanted to move in an online direction. We had a goal in the year 2020, we will run 10 experimental online somethings, right? Online something. So in my mind, it was like, it could be a one-on-one -on -one lesson that would count as one of the 10 things. Um, and, uh, and then in a period of about a week, we went from thousands of in-person guitar experiences to zero, to zero. So, um, so the, the, we had a couple really important things going for us. Number one, um, we had, we had no debt. We had a cash emergency fund in our business and I had a personal cash emergency fund. Um, now I had had the experience of looking at this cash thinking, why am I, why am I stacking this cash up? Am I dumb? Why am I not putting this to, I had no idea how fast that cash in the emergency fund goes out when there's a true emergency, when you have no income coming in, you've got payroll, you've got rent on five locations, so, but that really helped. Um, the next thing that really helped is our students. We had a lot of goodwill with our students. They really wanted us to succeed and they trusted us. And because of that, they were ready to change some things. They were they were ready to try some new things out, um, but I, I think I think probably the most important thing that helped us change quickly is that we have a business that has a we have a mission statement that we talk about a lot and we live it and we believe it. It's coaching personal greatness, one lesson at a time, and then we have some values underneath that. And we talk about them all the time and we live them and we believe them, and that helped us all be together. Um, and, and, and then also we have, we have meeting rhythms that we run. We, we run something called scrum, which in San Francisco, I know you guys know all about scrum. Like every it company is run at scrum, every software company. Let me tell you, I, there are not very many music schools that run scrum, but we do. And we had for a couple of years. And, um, so, so the meeting rhythms and the, that we had in place and the project management we had in place, we pivoted, we took, we, a, a couple weeks before lockdown, we took that scrum team that was supposed to come up with these 10 experimental, uh, and, and we are like, Hey, guess what? This scrum team has a new mission. It's to get everything online as quickly as possible. So we had, before lockdown happened, we had all our teachers trained on Zoom. We had 50 Zoom accounts. We had, uh, uh, we had sent out to all our students um, th that we would make this change. And it was still a total train wreck. But, but, uh, <laughs> but we had a shot because, no, because of true. this, we had a shot. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's um, um, and 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 just one one more thing before I kind of kind of finish off the very beginnings of the experience for us, is is um, 
that even though we had an emergency fund, even though we had this great team, we still, I looked at cash. I looked at what was happening and because our revenues dropped to zero and, and, and we're like, we don't do, we don't do semester plans or commitments. You know, that's part of our student friendly thing. We had only pay as you go plans essentially. So people, people weren't coming. Therefore there was no money coming in. And even with our emergency fund, I was like, Oh my gosh, we're going to be out of business in six weeks. We're going to be bankrupt in six weeks. Um, and, um, and so, so we knew, so we had to lay people off and it was brutal. It was brutal because we had a tight team, but we did it on, we did it immediately. We did it before the lockdown even went in place. And the advice I got was don't try to, don't try to mess around with this. Don't, don't like cut one person and then cut another person and cut another person. Like you got to rip the bandaid off, make sure you survive. And that'll put you in a position where you're not killing the morale of your team by having multiple layers of cuts. But, um, but, but you're going to, um, uh, but maybe you're even in a chance to bring people back. So what we did is we kept every single teacher. We did not lay off a single teacher through this. Um, uh, and, and, and we, but we did lay off some of our desk staff. Um, and we cut, I went to half, um, uh, uh, me and my partner cut our salaries for a while. Um, we, other people went half time, and, and, and some of the people we laid off, we were able to bring back some people, uh, to full time, uh, later and bring, bring back, uh, um, a little bit of that staff, but, but man, that was, that was brutal, but we did it fast. Whoa. I have been through those before and they are never fun. It is emotional yet. You, like you said, you got to rip the bandaid off Uh, and there's no other good way to put it. And it's, it's, it's one of the most awful things you can do because I don't know about you, but I know when I had to do lay people off, I always felt like I let them down, you know, like, gosh, I'm the boss. I'm supposed to have my shit together. And I don't, and you know, this was back, the first time I ever did this was back in 2000, 2001, <laughs> where global economic yeah. meltdown, you know, like it's not even my fault and I still yeah. can't do it the yeah. right way, you know? Um, wow. Well, we, oh, we man. were able to give every, because we did it so fast, we were able to give some severance. We, we were, it, we were able to give a little bit of uh of runway, but you know, at the end of the day, it was still, it was, it was really, really tough for those people involved. Um, and then, and then over the next, uh, and then we closed, we ended up closing three of our five locations. So the first one that was, that was really tough too, because we are like, Oh my gosh, this is people because it's a spiritual home for people. Yeah. It's, and, and we're like, Hey, where your spiritual home is going to disappear uh, for the students, for the teachers. But the third one we closed by that time, it had gotten pretty easy and it was no longer a shock to the system. Everybody, everybody knew what we were doing, but, but we, but we were uh, immediately advancing as well. We were immediately um, making this alternate structure. Um, so we, 
We gave lots of off ramps for our students that were uncomfortable in the group classes. The group classes got, you know, uh, we lost, I think, around 98% of our revenue. Uh, there are rock bands, of course, completely disappeared. But our pri- at, at first, our private lessons, our, our students gave us a chance. And, um, uh, and they, you know, the first week, I think, you know, maybe, maybe like 80 people took lessons. I mean, everybody was in shock. It would, but, but then, but then gradually people started coming back and we realized that we were, we were doing something super, super important because that, that thing that we had given before, I mean, music and human connection, all of a sudden these lessons that we were teaching became incredibly important. It was, it was a, it was a point of sanity. It was a point of continuity for our students. It was a point of human connection. Um, and, and I, I think our whole team realized very quickly that we had a really important, uh, service to deliver to people. Yeah. It's normalcy Um, too. Like, little bit of something to look forward to a little bit of hope, you know, yeah. a little bit of fun. I mean, you know, my, my fiance Minerva, she, uh, she takes singing lessons and same thing. The place she would take, it was in person COVID hits lockdown. Everything's done. They also pivoted to online. There's a bunch of nonprofits that would do like one. I, when I've been involved with before they had in, in person, mentoring for students to learn how to write Mm -hmm. and COVID hits no more school. They had to pivot online too. Not ideal. And and I think you're right. I mean, the big point you had, which I'm glad you brought up and you thought, and like you said, was that we had a way to go online. We can deliver our services online. Not ideal. I'm with you. Right. I think that your whole comment about the spiritual home, and, you know, w- like I do jujitsu too. There's just something about walking in the dojo because, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm ready and you feel it. The energy is there. You can't yeah. replace that. I mean, yeah. I take jujitsu classes over Zoom and my friends, you know, we, we turn it on in my friend's garage. It's great. We have that. It's awesome that we're our grapple. They call it grapple in place. <laughs> we're our grapple in place buddies. But nothing, nothing can compare to that home of where I do the work and I feel a sense of community. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that's missing. We're struggling with community. And so how have you guys tried to not only contain your community and like foster, but how do you, how are you, are you building more community? How, how yes. is it working out for you? Yeah, we, we, we are. First of all, we tried, I was trying like we were trying, we were rolling out a new product or a new class or something like that every couple of weeks. And so many of them went down in flames. Like I remember, I remember I was like, okay, there's gotta be all these homeschooled kids, you know, and we're going to do these, these zoom camps. And like, we put together the curriculum, lined up the teachers, did a big marketing push. And, um, and you know, we worked so hard and, um, and then, and, and then, you know, you send out the email and you're like, okay, what's going to happen. And, and one kid signed up yeah, and I, I was crying, I was crying because I was oh. like, Oh my gosh, somebody wants this. But, but it was like the only kid. So we were running, we were, you know, we were like, if they, if we build it, they will come. We were running empty classes, getting our teachers paid. Um, 
so it it was really there was a lot of experimentation and we're still experimenting a little but this is where we kind of ended up um because one other thing going on is we we're in new york city our lessons are expensive we're positioned as the premium lesson provider in a very expensive city and now we're on the internet right and and on the internet the price wants to go to zero that's the way the internet works so 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 i felt intense pressure to lower our prices but i but but we wanted to keep paying our teachers so so what we decided to do was instead of if for for uh, for a product that in some ways is inferior right it's like not in person so so the insight we got was that instead of in, instead of lowering prices or trying to or trying to hold on to this price point we would add value so what we what we did is we started to create all these drop in classes like like a gym style uh, class group classes and anybody who was taking our lessons for free they could come to as many of these ancillary supplementary classes as they wanted. And, and what we saw is that we have, you know, it's, it's kind of like a gym. It, it, we have some students, they're like, one private lesson is fine for me. That's enough. And I've got a New York City instructor and I've got the quality and it's worth it. But we now have students from around the world who are showing up for five, six, seven cl- class of these classes a week. And, um, and so they're getting incredible value and they're getting to know each other. Um, so we have our, we have our student open mics, we have our community showcases. Um, but, but, but we, we also have these classes and, you know, they get to know different teachers that, so I jump in a class, the teacher recognizes me. I recognize somebody else, another student. And, um, and also we now have something that, um, instead of, instead of trying to justify the value, we actually have something that's like worth so yes, we're still high priced, but we're offering something that is, that far exceeds in value, the, the price. So that's, that's what we ended up doing. It took us, it took us like six months of trial and error to, to kind of, to, to kind of get to that point. But, but that, that has legs and we're going to, we're going to keep doing it. We'll never go back to being only a New York city based uh, business. We're, we're going to be, we're always going to be worldwide and we're going to keep our, we're going to still have our spiritual home in New York city. Yeah. Wow. That's just such a great story about how to experiment, see what happens, try a lot of times entrepreneurs and we have to experiment, but there's no, I always say there's like no silver bullet in what works. Like I, I can tell you what I think may work, but until you try it, like yeah. anything until you yeah. put it out in the world and see what happens, you have no idea. And anyone that says they've got the system and the process or whatever that works for everything is, I mean, they're a little delusional and probably lying to themselves, but there are frameworks and form to everything. So yeah. you're, I'm sure your teaching methodology has got a framework. Yep. You found this community, you know, yeah. you've been experimenting, you know, what works. But overall, the overarching thing, your values and your mission, which I really, really think is a great way to anchor this, won't change no matter what the offering is. Wow. Um, so now you're going to be worldwide. Cool. <laughs> we, we, we are worldwide. Oh, wow. um, I, I mean, we're, we're 31 states. We've got uh, students in Japan, India, uh, Italy, England, 
Ireland, uh, Switzerland, Germany. Um, there may be a couple others. Um, but obviously, even as I say that, I'm like, oh, we're barely, we're not worldwide. I mean, we're barely getting started. Um, there are people out there who want to who wanna connect and who we can serve. Um, I did want to. I did want to mention an, another part of this that I, I just think is really important, which it goes back to the values and the team, because our team, like like teams all over the world, man, they were rocked. They were they were having their own issues and problems and and shock. Um, so we had for at the beginning we we had a a, a weekly meeting to kind of just pull us together, um, and um, and they were rock stars and and. They, it's unbelievable how much of, of what we do was created by our teachers. Um, hey, here's a thing called Padlet. You can use it to like organize information. Uh, someone else is, is, is like, oh, you know, here's a tool for, for recording multiple students at the same time. And, and, and we're sharing this information and, and they really, uh, yeah, our, our, our team members were total rock stars and they were, they were taking so seriously their own uh, responsibility and opportunity to improve what they're doing and share it. Well, no, that's, wow, that's a great point because yes, they're rock stars. Yes, they took initiative, but Dan, you're a rock star too for allowing it to happen. <laughs> Not a lot of entrepreneurs would, uh, would do that. A lot of times they want the control. And I think yeah. that's driven by the mission, vision, and values and your big idea and your story and your core values. Cause this is the thing I think I want everyone to real, really realize about your particular situation. Traumatic event, catastrophic worldwide, a completely out of your control. You can't do anything about this yet. The struggle and challenge people rise to the, you know, some people say, oh, they rise to the level of their, you know, of, you know, they rise to the occasion. No, they've actually fall to their training. Part of that training as an entrepreneur, as a business person, as a team is this continuing evolution of the mission, vision, and mm -hmm. values, the core mm -hmm. of what you believe in. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a very powerful thing because when adversity strikes, which it will, this is yeah. not the this is not the last time a pandemic's yeah. going to happen. <laughs> Sorry for <laughs> to blurst everyone's bubble if they think this is a one and done thing. Not going to happen. Um, what you build now will have legacy and legs for a long time. And I just it's interesting because you're like not even that high tech a company. You're just a yeah we're company, not company <laughs> right like a services company that had physical yep. locations like yep. yoga studio, gym, jujitsu dancing, gymnastics, singing, like all these things where, you know, the, I always like, I used to not have this attitude about art in general. I used to like, I was an engineering student. So I'm like, why do I have to take all these stupid, like elective classes? These like liberal arts and social, I'm like, this is ridiculous and stupid. I mean, honestly, I had this baddest attitude about I'm like, this is going to help me in life. Right. And then I took a class called Jazz in America. Uh -huh. <laughs> and the professor was the actual guy that did the soundtrack to this movie called The Lawnmower Man. I don't remember if anyone knows. This is like, this is back in the day. So uh -huh. most of my listeners, if you're younger, probably never, never even, weren't even born, right? But I remember like, I'm an engineering student. I don't really want to be in this class. It's, you know, 
it's like at 1130 in the afternoon or 1130 in the morning. And, you know, my day started in engineering school at seven, right? Every All my other liberal arts colleagues, you know, they rolled out of bed at 11 after drinking all night. I'm like, ah, freaking out, right? But I remember just sitting there at times and he's like, listen to the music. Just like, what is it? How does it make you feel? And I'm like, feel? Mm-hmm. I, I, can I just get this done? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, when am I going to get my A? And then the thing he made us do is go to a jazz show, right? Never been to a jazz show before. Been to metal concerts, rock concerts. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a heavy metal guy. Like, I like mm-hmm. hard rock. And I'm like all music, but I'm a I'm an 80s hair band guy, right? <laughs> and um, then I then it hit me. It hit me that art and culture is the kind of like the spice of life. And I know it's kind of a cliche, but it like kind of makes life worth living. And if art goes away, then that spice and that flavor and that community and that connection. I mean, I remember going to rock shows, I'm sure, or whatever kind of music you are into. You just feel like Mm -hmm. everyone's here having fun. You're like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm a, I'm a maiden fan too. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And, the same with like your students. I, I, I just think this is so powerful and so overlooked that we need to be more well-rounded as a society. And that starts with the arts. And well, there's a huge place for it. Yeah. I, I, I think, I, I mean, I agree. And um, there's a, there's a lot there. One, one is, one is art expresses the inexpressible and when when you know how to play guitar you can pick it up and you're feeling you're feeling something that you can't even say but you can express it you can get it out you can work it out as you play guitar and it's the same thing with with music one of our one of our teachers uh lenny molotov uh says the job of a musician is to express feelings for for other people like like yeah this is how i feel um this says something that can't even be comprehended who I am and where I am in the universe. Uh, but another aspect of music, uh, in particular uh, art and music that I think is really important and that I believe in and that I believe connects to what we're trying to do, uh, that we try to do physically in New York city and that we're trying to do now virtually. Uh, you know, I, I grew up, uh, I grew up Mormon on a farm in Idaho. I hit New York city and I was like, wow, man, this is where I want to be. I, I still look up and I'm like, wow, th- those, those buildings are tall. Yeah. Those are tall buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was surrounded by people who looked different than me. They sounded different than me. They spoke different languages. They had, they had different points of view. They had grown up in different places and man, I loved it. I wanted to be in it. I wanted it to be in me. And for me, one of the ways I did that when, when I hit New York city and I was playing in bands, the, the fact that I could play guitar and bass, actually that, that helped a lot because even if you're, I don't know if you know this, if you're, if you're a mediocre bass player, you can probably play in more bands than if you're an incredible <laughs> guitar player. Yeah. I, well, there's, there's always those memes <laughs> that I always see that are like, you know, they have all like singer got all the women, you know, guitarists got some of the women, 
you know, drummer, none of the women. And then, you know, bassist is like, who? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> got their bass, right? There's a, there's a, there, there, there is always a desperate need for a bass player who can sing. I mean, if yeah. you can, if you're a bass player who can sing, even if you're not that great of a bass player, you have it, you have a chance, you have a chance. So, but, it, but music led me to all these different rooms and all these different um, groups of people and, um, and clubs and neighborhoods. And it just, it just, opened up New York City to me in a way. And, and um, right now in America, um, th there's so much polarization. There's so much fear and loathing of other people. Um, and and people, people want to connect. They really want to connect. And when, when I play my guitar, I'm hearing six strings, six different strings, making different notes that sound good together. And when I'm in a band, or if I'm in a class with students from around the world, I'm literally making music. I'm literally coming together with people. And it just, I just think it's a really needed, um, and it doesn't matter that, 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 you know, we're from different places or from different political parties or whatever. We can come together. We have a metal class. Um, if you like metal, you can come to the metal class and learn metal, right? Oh, um, uh, don't tempt me. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 have we have the we have the jazz class, we have the guitar class. It's it's for everybody to come to and make music together. I, so so yeah. part of part of part of what I I hope that we're doing is is being you know people are people all across the world are doing this. They're trying to make bridges, but but we explicitly you're trying to do that we're trying to make a place where people can come together for music to just make some music together yeah no i mean i've had uh johnny uh, crowder on the show he's the singer for the metal band prison he also happens to be the ceo of cope notes which uh is about mental health and everything and i remember you know he's like he is a rock singer like tattooed and buffed and like he's just got the kid i mean like he's a rock star right and we're just sitting there talking about stuff you know and you know we share kind of this love of metal right like i grew up in the 80s 70s and 80s so like you know i'm kind of a metal head and and he was just like well you know one of the things that when he was raising money for his company he was worried that you know people were like well you can't be a rock singer anymore you got to run your company and and he's just like that's the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, the kids I'm trying to reach are at every one of my metal shows. He's like, if you're listening to prison, you probably have got some challenges mentally and you're trying to find a community <laughs> that understands you. This was the thing that I was like, so blown away because he's like thrash. I mean, it's, I don't know if, how heavy it is. I don't even know what he called thrash metal or like hardcore metal. And, you know, they'll play with, bands that are pretty dark and hardcore mm -hmm. um and he's just like yeah you can always tell a prison fan so they're the ones helping people up as they get smashed in the pit mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you've never been in a mosh pit then you probably don't know what i'm talking about look it up on youtube um but it's I've been, I've been in a few mosh pits yeah of course of course i mean <laughs> they can get scary when you when you go yeah. down and you're in the bottom of the mosh pit it, it goes from fun to scary really yeah, fast real quick and you hopefully you got your buddies that are gonna pull you up but community is just so important and we're so losing that with this like you said this divide i mean i think at the end of the day we all just kind of want to have a good life and have friends and have our family taken care of and 
you know, enjoy the world and not have to worry about stuff, you know, and you're right. I think we need to start pulling together. I mean, also had Chris Terry on, I don't know if you know who Chris Terry is. He's a, a well, he, he's the founder of Gen Z media, but he's also uh-huh. a jazz bass player. Um, and so it was interesting talking to him because of course he plays in bands and you know, everything, but then he, he formed Gen Z media and Gen Z media is all about telling stories to Gen Z great podcast that, you know, my uh, fiance's daughter and I, and the whole family listen to, because it's just so like, he does a great job, but the music in there, I'm like, well, what makes you guys different? And he's like, just listen to the music. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah, like that feel it. I can feel it when there's tension because the, mm-hmm. the music, right. So what do you think is going to happen now? I mean, we're going to pull out of this pandemic eventually. I think people are going to have, I mean, honestly, I think there's going to be some collective trauma to deal with. I, I mm-hmm. think you can already feel it and see it. What do you think is going to happen? How, how do you think that you're going to kind of fill this void? And then, and, and I mean, when do you think you're going to reopen your physical location? I guess that may let's start there. Uh, um, May 19th. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> okay. May nineteenth. Heard it here first. Yeah, um, yeah. We're we're gonna we're gonna do a a slow rollout. Um, to our we we've got our remaining locations are in Midtown and Queens. Oh, and I do want to shout out our Queens landlord. Awesome, awesome family. Um, uh, th- who who um, worked with us on the rent as 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 part yeah. of this. We're wow. we're back to paying full rent to everybody, but. Uh, but that's just an example of how we really were all in this together. Um, that's beautiful. But, uh, um, but yeah, and and we're not going to be in a super rush. Um, we're, we're going to gradually build. We're, we're not requiring our teachers to come back. We're doing it on a volunteer basis at first. And, and it's going to, it's going to be a little tricky because many of our teachers have busier schedules than they've ever had. And they're, they're telling me, Dan, you know what? I, I think I like teaching virtually from my apartment and I love my setup and I've got all my guitars and my computer and my mics and my interface. Um, can I just, can I just keep teaching from my apartment? Um, and the answer is, well, we certainly have enough business for them to do that, but we are going to reopen physically as well. So there's a lot to sort out. We also, there's, there's these voids in these neighborhoods that we, that we closed in. Um, so, so for, for our personal story, uh, what I envision for us is I, I think we're going to, we're going to keep going gangbusters on online. We're going to reopen these two locations and, and build them up. And I think people are going to be very excited. Like our summer camp right now, um, we already have tons and tons of kids signed up for our summer camp. There's such a hunger. There's such a hunger to come back and connect physically. Um, but, uh, but I, but I still don't know what, what the long-term physical brick and mortar reality is for us. Uh, um, and I, and I know from talking to other people in, in my kind of business that a lot of people are in that space. They're not really sure what to do. Um, but what do I think is going to happen? Uh, Jari, I think, I think humans are going to keep being human. Uh, Mm, I'm no, I'm no expert, but I think, I think human beings are going to keep they're, they're going to keep wanting to find the greatness within themselves. They're going to, they're going to keep wanting to connect with other people. Unfortunately, they're going to keep having tribal instincts of fear. Um, 
so uh, so I don't I don't know what's going to happen, but I feel pretty optimistic. I, I feel I feel like people are coming out of this with a real hunger. I mean, all of us, all of us have have had a um, a reality check on what our lives are like, and you've probably done the same thing. Uh, I feel it in myself. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want to go back to the same life I had. I was taking all of these things for granted that I don't want to take for granted anymore. And we're doing that as a society and we're doing that as individuals. Um, so, uh, so I think, I think, I think for people like, like you, who, you know, you're teaching people how to be more effective entrepreneurs. I think for people like me who are, who are teaching people how to practice and be more effective, um, in, in guitar, but also just in practicing anything. Um, uh, I, I think our future is pretty bright because I think people are coming out of this and they, they want, they want a richer life for themselves and they want to be more connected to other people. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the original premise for this show, I started this show, this podcast, the, the first episode launched the day we were sheltered in place in San Francisco, March 16th, 2020. March 16th also happens to be my mom's birthday. <laughs> so um, the original premise for this show was I was going to do every interview live. I was literally going to have a recorder and I was going to go like face to face, like we're having coffee. I always like to say, just imagine we're having coffee at a cafe. I did like three of those. And then pre-recorded a bunch and then the, the world just completely shut down. And again, for a podcast for me, it's not that big a deal, right? This isn't my main gig, right? I do this. Like I think I told you before, I do this to practice talking to people because I'm very yeah. bad at it. <laughs> I'm trying to like, you know, practice. And I love your metaphor of practice. Like I think practice is at the heart of getting of greatness because a lot of the world is luck. So as an entrepreneur, it's lucky. You know, you're going to get a book deal. It's luck. You're going to be get a record contract. It's luck. Mm-hmm. But the more you practice, the more you put yourself out there, the more opportunities you, you take advantage of, the luckier you get. But mm-hmm. it all boils down to what can I control? Yeah. I can control yeah. my discipline to practice my craft. Yeah, that's right. And I think, uh, I think that's, I think that's the key to success, at least the people that I've talked to. So in terms of your approach to, to guitar and teaching guitar, yeah, um, I know you've got a songbook coming out of the 40 great, greatest songs to practice to on guitar. Um, what, what is it about your method and what have you like figured out about how to get that practice, that practice discipline, that practice habit? Because again, you know, full confession, I, you know, I want to learn. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to figure out like, Oh, I gotta, I want, I mean, and I'm pretty disciplined. It's just, it scares me to be honest. Yeah. Music haven't been that musically inclined yeah. in my life. And it, I know a lot of people are in the same boat. My dad used to play guitar when we were kids, we would sing like Christmas carols for grandma, you know, poorly, by the way. I mean, like, I, you know, I have a, I have a voice, you know, I've got the late night FM DJ voice. I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't have the, <laughs> you know, I'm not Pavarotti. Or uh-huh. that, but, what what is it about your method that gets that practice habit going? Yeah, um, we talk about practice a lot with our team. Um, the one of there's kind of a couple streams of inspiration in my learning. Uh, um, one is I'm a giant John Wooden fan, 
Um, and, and we've done a couple book groups um, based around uh, books about him or by him. Uh, one of my favorite books is You Haven't Taught Until They Have Learned, uh, which I, I, I just feel like is, it's the ultimate thing. Are you a guitar teacher? Well, I don't know. Did they learn anything? It's, it's wow, so, so, point. um, uh, the, um, and, and, and then also, uh, and, and kind of on, also on the sports side, I did a lot of martial arts. It sounds like you did too. And, and I did, uh, I college sports. So a lot of that stuff, uh, has influenced how I think about practice. And, and then also I got really into, um, like I read Malcolm Gladwell's, uh, uh, book outliers, um, the, and the 10,000 hour rule. Now that may have been a little bit of a simplification of how, how learning works, but like a lot of other people that, that put me on this whole, um, this whole, uh, uh path to study, um, you know, uh, Andres Erickson, um, deliberate practice, uh, how the brain works, the shallows by Nicholas Carr. I don't know if you've read that. No, just, just such a, um, you, you know, so, so I got super interested in, in what actually happens inside the body when you learn something. So, um, so now with those kinds of, with those two things in mind, number one is, is like the, the practical application from sports of how you practice and how you coach. And then also the, the, the scientific knowledge of how learning actually happens in the brain. Let me take a step back. When you teach guitar, you're not teaching guitar, you're teaching people. That's our first thing that we say all the time. You don't teach guitar, you teach people. You don't teach guitar, you teach people. What do people need to learn? Um, they come to us with a lot of motivation. They also come to us with a lot of fear. The first thing they need is faith. They need to actually believe that they can learn. Um, and then they need a very, very clear step-by-step -step path that works if they follow it. Um, but then they need to stay on that path. They need to be supported in their practice. One of the, one of the things we realize is, is as important as teaching guitar technique is, we need, we need to teach practice. So, so, um, uh, I wrote a book and some of the articles in it are from other members of our team called the, the ultimate guitar, uh, workbook. And it's, it's 20 chapters on, on different aspects of practice. What do we teach? The first thing we teach is that when you practice, you're literally changing the wiring of your brain. Wow. So, and, and this applies to guitar, but it applies to anything. You're changing the wiring of the brain. How do you change the wiring of your brain? You have to repeat things, but you have to repeat them correctly. And there's a, what we call the sweet spot is the point at which your the learning in your brain happens the fastest, when you're actually building neuron connections and changing the structure of your brain the fastest. And the sweet spot works out. What we teach is we say, put your student in a place where they're 80% successful when they're practicing as hard as they can. So our job as a coach paying very close attention to our student uh, becomes, becomes keeping our, you know, giving our students uh, a path and the background and the warm up, and then dropping them into this workout where we're keeping them in this place where they can do it, but it's hard. It's challenging, mm -hmm. but they can do it. And then we have to build very step-by-step step, these skills up step-by-step. Step, and it's, it's, crazy. So like, like here's, here's a, here's a simple example that anyone could try at home. You're trying to learn a song. See if you can play a piece of it 
four times in a row. If you can play it four times in a row, that's 80% success. Great. If you can do it, figure out a way to make it tougher. A great way is a metronome. Play it a little faster. If you can't do it four times in a row, it's too hard. You have no business practicing at that level. And, and what we see, our students tend to fall into, naturally, they fall into one of two camps. Either they're, they're playing the same, they come in and they're like, I've been playing guitar for 20 years and I've never made any progress. Well, what have you been doing? I've been, I've been playing the same song, right? They're not challenging themselves at all. This happens all the time. On the flip side, and more common is what I call teenage heavy metal guitarist syndrome. They're, they're like, "Oh, I'm going to play this. I'm I'm going to play this hardcore, uh, um, power chord, the yeah, power. Iron Maiden riff yeah. or whatever." At, um, That's me. That's and, me. And, and yeah, and and they play it and they make a mistake and then they play it again and they make a mistake and they're like, "Maybe if I play it faster, it'll be better." And they play it and they make a mistake and they lock in incorrect information to their brain. And 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 really, really, in my experience, it turns out that people people actually usually are practicing things at too difficult of a level. And then they, yeah. and then they're like, I suck. This isn't working. Yeah. Right. So, so you want to put them, it's our job as a teacher. You huh. got to make your students successful. So you got to break it down, give them something that's challenging for where they're at yes. that they can totally rock. So at the beginning, at the beginning, that might be, Hey, which finger is your first finger? I'm going to show you, this is your first finger. Now show me which finger is your first finger. And they, they show you their first finger. Hey, they just got a success. They're on their way, right? Um, too many, too many coaches, too many teachers set their students up to fail. So, so you got to, you got to, you got to so make true. them successful. You got to make them successful. You got to give them the chance to be successful, but don't make it easy. And the amazing thing is, if 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 you keep your students in this sweet spot, and if you teach them to practice in that sweet spot, it seems like you're going slower. But oh my gosh, people learn so fast. Oh, I agree. I agree. I think this is a great methodology for leadership and you know developing your employees and really like chat when, when you challenge someone to do work. Like a lot of times, this is what happens with entrepreneur, engineer, whatever. They'll assign a task to someone. Yeah. And that task is literally that person either won't admit they can't do it or it's too yeah. hard or they, yeah. they're overwhelmed and then yeah. they, they do it incorrectly. And then there's this huge, like they're not set up for success. Like I love what you said, you need to set them up for success. And I agree with you that that appears slower, but this stuff seems to be to be asymmetric, right? And, and this is the same with jujitsu and sports. And, and this is why, like, even in jujitsu, like we practice these moves and positions and like, look, just make sure you get this right. If you can't do this, we're not even going to go down the complicated. So let's just do the fundamentals. But as the things layer on this muscle memory, which is important, muscle memory is also for leadership. And entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah. To, I mean, it's the same exact thing. And I yeah. love, I love you bringing up John Wooden because I think there is a lot of value in studying coaches at the sports level and yep. what they do and how that can be applied. Yeah. Now, of course, it's not completely apl applicable to lots of things, but the general like form and flavor of it all, it's human motivation and making sure that you're motivating people to succeed. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I mean, that's so powerful. I wish that's a great great lesson to, 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 um, to like have and thing. And so the, my last question that I'm working on, like I'm, it's an experiment <laughs> is 
What advice would you give the next generation of entrepreneurs coming up? Um, I, I would say a couple things. F first of all, I really, really believe. Uh, so sometimes people say, hey, Dan, why don't, why, why are you a for-profit company? Why don't, why don't you make a nonprofit? If you're mission-driven, if your values-based, if, if you want to build community, if you want to make people stronger, why, why don't you do a nonprofit? I believe so strongly that, that, um, that we can make our own lives better and other people's lives better through businesses. And it doesn't matter if it's a local business, an internet business. Um, so, so, so one thing that I was a little messed up in my head at first was I was like, I was like, wait a minute, is it bad for me to make money? Wait, uh, but, but, <laughs> but I have, I have really come I have really come to a place where, where I believe I'm bringing immense value to the world yeah. through business. So the first thing I'd say is, is, listen, the world needs you. The world needs you to start a business. The world needs you to solve problems. We've got lots of problems. You need to solve them. And, and you need to create that opportunity for yourself. And you need to create jobs and learning for other people. And you need to solve problems for people. So, so the first thing I'd say is, is, yeah, man, do it. Do it. The world needs you. And then the second thing I'd say is, so... I teach guitar and we have a very unique guitar method that is, I would say it's, it's maybe, I don't know, people have been teaching guitar for a long time. Our method is realistically, is it 2% different? Is it 5% different than other guitar methods? But that's enough. It's revolutionary, right? Everything else, someone else has already thought about and is expert on. So, so, we run Scrum. We don't need to make up how to run projects. Someone else already did that. We run um, the the entrepreneurial operating system for our meeting rhythms and our accountability chart. We don't need to make up how to do that. Um, the the first book I read was uh, was uh, uh, when I started my business was Guerrilla Marketing by Jay Conrad Levinson. There's marketing books out there. There's people who have have devoted their lives to figuring out how to do this. Don't figure everything out on your own. You've got your own special sauce. You're your own special person and everything else. Just go find out how someone else did it and do it exactly the way they say until you've done it enough to make a change. So that, that's, those are the two pieces of advice I'd, I'd give is, is do it, get started. The world needs you. And also just keep your special stuff to your special stuff and, and just do what works for everything else. Wow. Well, that's a great place to end. And I, I really appreciate you being open about the struggles and challenges you've had. Good luck with New York City Guitar School, now nationwide, worldwide, in fact. Yeah. And uh, I am, you know, you need to hold me accountable to this because I <laughs> really want to learn. So I'm, I need to meditate on it, <laughs> but I'll be, I might be reaching out to figure out how to do that because I like that methodology that you said, you know. Success. Success breeds more success. Yeah. You don't have yeah. to show how smart you are because someone can't do something you showed them how to do. Like be a leader. Yeah. Pull that together. So Dan, thanks a lot. Stay safe and good luck opening next month. Thank okay. you very much, Jari. It's it's been an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for doing this podcast and and for inviting me and allowing me to be on it. I, I hope it brings value to your listeners and uh have an awesome day. Take All care. Right. Thanks. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks again, Dan, for being on the show. I learned a ton, and I think you kind of inspired me to want to pick up the guitar. <laughs> so here, as promised, 
are some actionable insights that I learned from Dan. Dan struggled at first with whether his business should be a nonprofit or not. He since adopted the belief that he can change people's lives through businesses. And indeed, it's the one of the best ways to affect change in the world. Find your sweet spot. Focus your energy on what you uniquely have to offer and lean on others' expertise for the rest. Whether it's implementing a project management system or a marketing strategy, someone has learned how to do it effectively. You can focus on your own unique offerings and leverage what they've done. Be prepared. Dan's farsightedness in having savings and then acting fast when he saw a crisis coming helped him more efficiently pivot. Even while the business was still struggling, they were still able to come back strong in a different kind of form and enable them to grow offerings to lessons from students to students all over the world. So this is an excellent, excellent example of a pretty good pivot, right? And then the last one I like the most is, if you want to be in a band, <laughs> Dan suggests being a bass player, especially if you can sing. Apparently, those are in high demand. So thanks again, Dan, for being on the show. And there you are, actionable insights you can take action on, well, right now. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.